Hi there. I'm Lee Redhead, a writer and member of Sisters in Crime Australia. Welcome to Scarlet Stiletto Bites, scintillating short stories by Australian women. Our weekly podcast is designed for busy lives. Each murder mystery is short, but not always sweet. Expect twisted tales, quirky humour, imagination, and a frisson of feminism. Sisters in Crime Australia's Scarlet Stiletto Awards were established in 1994 to unearth criminal literary talent. We're producing these podcasts of winning stories to celebrate the sisters' 30th anniversary ceremony in Melbourne in late 2023. The concept designer and narrator is fellow sister, actor, barrister, broadcaster, and best-selling true crime author, Susanna Lopez. Hello, Susanna here. Pure hatred can spawn many a crime, and today's story explores this motivation for violence. Vermin by Janice Spare. 1999 Scarlet Stiletto winner. The first time we done it, we done it for a joke. It was Craigie's idea. We went down to the dunny in the park one night and waited till one of them came along. Simo and me held him while Craigie put the boots in and when we left him he was curled up on the ground, moaning like a woman. Craigie stood over him and spat. Fuck you, faggot, he says. Be a while before you come looking for another bum chum. Then we got out of there. Fast. We seen him a few days later in the bookshop where he worked. All, yes, madam, and no, madam, in his fucking yellow vest. One of his eyes was as purple as a baboon's ass. We fucking cacked ourselves. It gotta be a bit of a habit until grand final night. We drank a shitload of cans on the way to the match and then tried to sneak some through the gate, but it was a no-go. The poofter taking the tickets looked in our bags. You're gonna drink them yourself, you fucking spastic cunt! Simo yelled over his shoulder. Piss off, fat boy, the bloke on the gate says, and Simo turns round, ready to go him. But then we see Brett McKenna and the boys come out of the club rooms wearing the old blue and red. Go, Brett, go, mate, we yelled. Come on, the mighty gulls. And big Brett, he didn't let us down, soaring above the rest like a hawk, like an eagle then, and diving so fast. It was all Brett all the way and the other side never had a fucking hope it was over by three quarter time and when the final siren sounded people started streaming onto the ground some of the fellas had big brett on their shoulders and were singing the club song you're a legend you're a legend simo kept yelling and even craig was grinning fit to beat the band me i just had me hands out Trying to touch him. I would have done anything for him then. After the players went into the club rooms, we hung around Pervin at the Chicks. A blonde piece with really big norks went past. Hey, tits, calls Simo. 
pointing at his dick. How about it? Piss off, you pack of morons, she says, really pissed off. And Simo runs up behind her and grabs her ass. Oh, we fucking cacked ourselves. We got sick of hanging around, so after a while we piled into Craigie's panel van and hit the Royal. My shout, I tell him and head for the bar. Wayne Preston, the half-full Ford for the gulls is there. Great game, mate, I say. But the cunt just looks straight through me. Fuck him. We start drinking and keep drinking, getting really shit-faced. And just before closing time, Craigie says, Let's go and find a faggot. And we all start pounding the table. Find a faggot, find a faggot. Out the front of the pub there's cars revving and people yelling, fucking spastic. But when we get to the park, it's as quiet as a fucking grave. We creep up to the dunny and wait. And pretty soon we hear footsteps. Craigie steps out of the shadows. He and the poof to just look at each other. Then the poof says, you looking for something, mate? And there's the sound of him unzipping his fly. Yeah, this says Craigie, and then it's on for young and old. Die, faggot, die, yells Simo. He was, he was strong. Who would have thought a fag would be so strong? He fought like a fucking tiger. And even when Craigie kicked his teeth in, he didn't cry or moan. <laughs> They'll teach the cunt a lesson. And we hung a wheelie and took off out of there. He was all right when we left, just, just lying there in a puddle of blood. The next morning, the whole town's got a hangover and I just stuff around feeding the dogs and watching telly. I don't think nothing about it until Simo rings me first thing Monday. Troy, Troy, have you seen the paper, mate? Of course, I haven't seen the friggin' paper, but I go out for it because he sounds cactus. He sounds really fucking scared. And there on the front page is the headline. Footy hero slain in mystery killing. And underneath in fucking black and white, Brett McKenna, dead at the hand of person or persons unknown. This is it? Gina gazed uneasily out the window. This is it, babe. On the left-hand side, behind the dense bank of scrub that lined the road, the sea rolled in a sullen blue mass and looked nothing like a postcard. A few salt-stunted trees bravely defied the wind, their tops flattened out by years of exposure to storms and squalls. I shivered. Graham had said the place could be desolate, but I hadn't expected it to be this bleak. Keep an eye out for the motel, I told Gina, as we came to the sign bearing the name of the town and underneath the number of friendly people who welcomed us. We drove along the main street where harried-looking shoppers to and froed, heads bent down into the wind. A few people turned to stare at the Sharkmobile. There it is, said Gina, pointing to a sign that flashed Four seasons in pink neon against the dark grey clouds. But the first and last letters were on their way out and blinked only intermittently. Our season looked as though it was winter. 
Mrs. Wetherall? asked the young woman at the reception desk. Miss, I replied curtly. Miss, she said, beaming benignly, please sign here. I signed, took the key and went outside to the car as my mobile rang. Laurie Wetherall? It's Graham, Laurie. I repressed a sigh. I was already regretting the impulse that had caused me to agree to his request at 5am yesterday morning. I'd been half asleep when he'd rung with Gina, warm and smelling of roses curled up next to me. I was weak. I hadn't had breakfast. I said yes. Let's meet at Cafe Pelican. It's not far from where you're staying and it's the only place in this dump where you can get soy milk lattes. Soy milk lattes? Soy milk lattes? Who gave a shit about soy milk lattes? But I said, yeah, sure, see you in 15. Gina had the bags out of the car and was standing in front of the door numbered nine. Got a dash, doll, I'll, I'll see you later, I said, after I'd parked the car and opened the door. On the way out, I glanced lovingly at the sharkmobile, but thought I'd do the right thing and walk. I couldn't see any pelicans, but a few seagulls foraged on the nature strips, pale yellow eyes, alert for suitable refuse. The cafe was a cheery, hippie-looking place with a wooden replica of its namesake in the window and wooden tables and chairs painted in primary colours. Graham cut a natty but slightly incongruous figure in a paisley vest, plain shirt and dark tie. We kissed and exchanged greetings and ordered. So, tell me about this dead footballer. It took me a while to get the whole story. He was scared and even though the cafe was almost deserted, he kept looking round and lowering his voice. But eventually it all came out. A family man, dead, and found where he shouldn't be. A spate of violent bashings and people frightened and intimidated. As he spoke, his hands clenched and unclenched, and a dull flush mounted in his cheeks. I looked at him closely. It happened to you, didn't it? He nodded miserably. Yeah, the police said they'd look into it, but I didn't hear from them again. You're my last hope, Laurie. I don't want anyone else to be killed. How well did you know, Brett McKenna? Graham moved restlessly in his chair. Everybody knew Brett McKenna. When you're a small-town footy hero, you're like God. But there were rumours. Word gets around among the queers in a place as small as this. I bet it did. I wondered if Brett McKenna had realised just how vulnerable he had been. I drummed my fingers on the table and thought about my commitments back in the big smoke. I thought about grief and guilt. All right, I said, I'll do it. I took a cheque from him and left some coins on the table. A gust of wind caught at my clothes as I stepped from Café Pelican. Across the street, an old Darrow swigged from a bottle in a brown paper bag. <sighs> what a great place to be gay, I thought. 
where Saturday Night Entertainment probably meant tabaret and Neil Diamond tribute bands and where men grew up to marry their best friend's sister. I shuddered and hightailed it back to the motel where Gina had filled the spa bath, picked a rose from one of the ailing bushes outside reception office and floated petals on the water. Ah, sank beneath it with relief. She'd done some research of her own. This is the place where the dolphins play. Excuse me? I nuzzled her neck. The dolphins, they come here to mate in the spring. I made diving movements with one of my hands, and she giggled, took the hand, put it between her legs and moaned, just as my mobile, which was sitting on the tiles near the bath, sounded. She groaned, a completely different sound, when I answered it. But there was no one there. Must have been a wrong number, so I went back to playing dolphins. Next morning, I made a call to the local police station and asked for the senior officer. I was told Sergeant Winston had an RDO, and could anyone else help? What's uh, Sergeant Winston's first name? It's Wally. Oh, hey, hang on. But I'd already hung up. Winston, W, was listed in the phone book at an out-of-town address. I put the keys in the Sharkmobile and drove Gina and her credit cards, a couple of blocks to the town centre. She was brought up a Catholic, but her real religion was shopping, then consulted a map of the district. As I took the road out of town, my mobile rang. But again, there was no one there when I answered. Wally Winston was a big man with a beer gut and very pale blue eyes. When I drove up, he was standing in his front yard, polishing a big white truck. I could see his face in the gleaming chrome metal. He took my preferred hand, reluctantly, and frowned when he saw my PI's licence. Ah, you're a long way from home. I've been employed by someone local. I tried for a pleasant smile. Ah, oh, yeah, well... You know what they say? He smiled and the effect wasn't pleasant at all. You're a local only if you've been here 30 years. There didn't seem to be any reply to that, so I pressed on with my real business. When I mentioned the bashings, he looked non-committal. We investigated those. We couldn't find anything to substantiate the allegations. The Allegations? One man was in hospital for three days. Ah, oh, we know why they go there, he leant against the side of his truck. They've only got themselves to blame. I thought about Graham, lonely and closeted in a small conservative community, and Brett McKenna, who had died because he lived a lie. Everyone has a right to justice. The words came out sounding more pompous than I intended. He looked at me and his eyes were very cold. They're just vermin, disease-carrying vermin. As I drove down the driveway, I glanced in the rearview mirror. I'm a fit, very strong woman, but when I saw him standing there, hands on hips, Watching me, 
I got a cold feeling at the base of my spine. My mobile went off again, and this time I heard breathing. I asked, who is this? But there was just the faint, shallow breathing. I threw the phone down and contemplated my next move. Clearly, I was not going to get any further with the police. It was time to visit the wife. On Tuesday morning, me and Simo took the dogs to the beach. They love it down there. We put them in Simo's old station wagon and drove out of town to this quiet spot where we can run them up and down the sand with no idiots getting in the way. I put their muzzles on because greyhounds are nervous animals and I didn't want them hurting each other. Thimble, the grey one, started acting up and I, I put my hand on her head and said, Steady, girl. The waves were crashing quietly and the sun had come up like a big fried egg as I got down one end and back. Bullseye flies down the beach like a black arrow and I think how great dogs are because dogs aren't like people. Dogs don't disappoint you. Dogs never let you down. When we finished, we put them back in the car and then leant against it and had a smoke. What are we going to do? Simo asks. And I know he's not talking about the dogs. I take a deep drag of me smoke. Oh, no one saw us do nothing, I say at last. We should just try not to think about it. But I know that's easier said than done. All through the week I've have dreams about blood and slime and on Sunday night the phone rings and it's Craigie saying some real butch type's been snooping around asking questions and making a real fucking nuisance of herself. A real bull dyke. But when he starts telling me what she looks like I say, yeah, yeah, because I've seen her driving around in her big fucking tank of a car, driving round with the top down, and her girlfriend sitting up beside her like King Dick. <laughs> Not that she'd have one. <laughs> she wasn't bad looking in a dark, woggy sort of way. The girlfriend's got long, wavy, dark hair and knocks out to here. i never seen any lesos before, except in porn mags. Two shillers going at each other, real flash the gash stuff. We could teach her a lesson, Craigie says, and I say, hey, hey, steady on, because I know what Craigie's like. He can be a real mean bastard. His father used to beat him with chains, and when his mum left home, she didn't take Craigie with her. we we got to keep her a low profile, I tell him, and to change the subject, I ask... How do you reckon Lesos do it? Probably use falsies, he says. Great big fucking rubber ones they buy at sex shops. And we fucking keck ourselves. Shay McKenna was a large split-level brick veneer with a neat and tidy garden. The windows were shuttered with apricot-coloured costa blinds, which no doubt matched the interior. Karen McKenna was a slim, small-featured blonde wearing jeans and a crisp white shirt, everything clean and neat and nice. She was probably about 30, but today she looked older than her years. I'd rung and told her I was a reporter from a footy magazine, 
marks and matches and wanted to do a profile on Brett that emphasised the community building aspects of sport. She showed me into a lounge room with apricot coloured walls and paler carpet. A blonde girl and boy smiled from framed photographs on the coffee table. Nice kids, I said after I'd given my condolences. Shireen and Jordan, she said, and for a moment her face relaxed. It was a good opening for an interview and I took advantage. I learned that she and Brett had been high school sweethearts. Her brother Gary was Brett's best mate and that they'd married young. She told me, it was one of those weird ironies of life, that Brett had had offers from big city clubs but had decided to stay in the town because he and Karen thought it was a good place to bring up kids. Brett's job as a sales rep for a large agricultural fertiliser company had flexible hours and allowed plenty of time for training. They'd been happy. You, you didn't resent the time Footy took him away from the family? She smiled. How could I, when it meant so much to him? I turned back to the photos. One showed Brett blokey and handsome, wearing a football jumper. Who would have guessed he'd gone to a public toilet to have sex with other men? Karen saw me looking and for a moment her her face blazed with anger. Not just anger, it was the look of a woman betrayed. She'd known about his life, but she could never tell anyone, not even herself. I thanked her, said I would send her a copy of the finished article and went outside to a day where the sun had finally decided to shine. Two young boys stood inspecting the sharkmobile. One was stroking a tail fin. Kuka, he said, by way of greeting. Thanks. As I opened the door, I noticed someone up the street watching me. An old guy bundled in clothes against the sun with a shuffling walk and ginger hair. Who's, who's that old bloke? I asked, pointing. Oh, that's just old Lou. Lou Chutney, said one of the kids. Lou Chutney? Yeah, said the other. It's not his real name, he added. I've, I've seen him before. Oh, he hangs around, sniggered the first. Usually in the pub or, or the park. He's an alky, volunteered the second, cupping his hand and raising it to his mouth. He used to be a teacher, said the first one, but then he started drinking. Big time, he mimicked his friend's gesture. Now I remembered I'd seen the old man outside the cafe the day I arrived, so he liked to wander around. I gave a mental shrug. Thanks, fellas. Check ya. The first one raised his hand magisterially as he and his mate moved off. Lou Chutney had disappeared. I stood by the car, dazed by the unexpected warmth and trying to order my thoughts. I had run up against a wall of silence and no one was going to help me. What next? A languid cappuccino with my darling appealed, but I needed to clear my head. A 
a solitary walk was required. The beach was on the other side of the caravan park, just a few streets away. I would get the car on the way back. <laughs> this walking was getting to be a bad habit, I thought, as I set off. The caravan park had the usual kiosk and phone box, as well as a, a few people making the most of the sun. A selection of natural vegetation had been left at the rear of the park. You reached the sand and water by means of a, of a track that cut through the scrub. As I started down the track, my mobile rang. There was the same rapid, shallow breathing, then a faint voice. We have to meet. Why? I know things. Where? Just keep walking, I'll meet you on the beach. The caller hung up. The sun went behind a cloud and I suddenly realised how quiet it was. A twig snapping made me start and although I couldn't see anyone when I looked about, I quickened my pace toward the dull side of the waves. There was another sound closer this time and the hair on the back of my neck rose. I've learned never to distrust these primeval reactions. I was certain I was being followed. I stopped and turned. Who's there? There was only silence. Fragments of sunlight reached me through a black lattice of branches as I broke into a jog. Had Wally Winston disliked me enough to want to hurt me? The caller must have rung from the caravan park. Perhaps I was being set up by an unknown psychopath or a murderer. There was a sound of someone crashing through scrub and I ran. The waves were louder now, but so were the footsteps behind me. An arm went round my throat and I saw red before my eyes. As I tried to struggle free, a voice shouted something and then the world fell in on me. I woke up in a hospital bed with a little ginger-haired man sitting next to it. I get the phone call and it's the dyke again saying, meet me at the aquarium. What the fuck? I nearly decide not to show, but I want to see what she knows. So I go down to the beach, the big fucking pile of rocks where the aquarium is. It's underground, real fucking dark and creepy. There's water in puddles on the floor and a drip. Drip, drip, that's the only sound. I check out the fish while I wait. Little stripy black and yellow ones, big old crays, and an octopus crawling around on the bottom of its tank. I knock on the glass, and when it waves an arm at me, I wave back. In the biggest tank, there's this shark. It's only a little shark, but you can see its real mean teeth. And it's real mean eyes, cold as the sea in winter. I stand there watching it swim around and around, but I don't want to go any closer. I'm getting bored, getting ready to go. Then I feel someone behind me, and when I turn around, there she is, watching. G'day, I'm... Yeah, I know who you are, she says real snotty-like. Bitch. There's glass at the top of the aquarium to let the light in and it makes weird stripes on the stone floor like the stripes on the fucking fish. While she looks at me from behind her dark glasses and doesn't say nothing. 
Why'd you pick this place? I say at last. To look at the fish. And she gives me this weird fucking little smile and starts raving on about her car, how it's a shark. It's a shark mobile and she likes cruising in it. I think about that good-looking chick of hers and say something about the back seat having a lot of room and she laughs and says, yeah, it does. We talk about fucking buzz and she says, yeah, it would be. We talk a bit more and I'm starting to think she's all right for a lezo. Then right out of the fucking blue she asked me about Brett McKenna. Did I know him? Did I know anything about the murder? And where was I that night? I play real dumb and say, well, I was at the pub with everyone else till closing time, then I went home. Oh, that's not what I've heard, she says. And I give her a big shit-eating grin and say she must have heard wrong. She just looks at me from behind the shades and doesn't say nothing while the shark swims around and around, bumping its nose against the glass. She looks at it real thoughtful and mutters something about predators and victims. Can I go now, miss? I ask, cheeky as though I'm talking to Miss Johnson, the old bag who used to give me the cuts in primary school, and she just gives me this vacant sort of nod, not looking at me, as though she's got something on her mind. Hey, Troy! She calls after me as I head towards the steps. A man always kills the thing he loves. <laughs> and she gives this weird fucking funny little laugh. And I get out of there. Fast. How did you get my mobile number? I asked. And he smiled slyly and said, I wasn't the only detective. He was probably younger than he looked. Years of alcohol and living rough had taken their toll. He was well-spoken, with the refined English-type accent that I'd associate with old-style ABC newsreaders. I wondered what had brought him this low. His eyes were bloodshot and his hands shook, but he seemed sober as he told me what he'd seen the night Brett McKenna died. The moon had come out briefly. He'd got a good look at one face. Would you testify? Yes, people shouldn't suffer like that. His face opened for a moment and I caught a glimpse of some old, unhealed wound. My mouth framed a question, then I decided against it. Thanks for rescuing me. Think nothing of it. His face twisted with a brief smile. He'd followed me from Karen McKenna's and, when he'd seen I was heading for the beach, made a call from the phone box and followed me into the bush. If it hadn't been for his presence, I'd have ended up with far more than a bump on the head and bruising. He hadn't been close enough to identify my attacker, but when he'd shouted at him, the man had fled. After Lou Chutney left, I sat in bed thinking about the choices we make and how people can live their lives in silence until it destroys them. Gina collected me the next day. 
It wasn't hard to track down Troy Harris, and as soon as I saw him, I knew all about the poor, sad little son of a bitch. Born in a backwater of genetically impoverished stock, his dad had pissed off early, leaving mum to do it all alone. This, combined with impatient teachers, inadequate education and declining job prospects in rural areas, had all made Troy a bored, stupid young man with poor self-esteem. Lou Chutney had seen three men attack Brett McKenna, because Troy wouldn't have done it alone. Troy was like one of Hitler's innumerable henchmen who were just following orders. No, there'd have been a leader, someone born cruel or made cruel by the world. I had to let Troy go at the aquarium, but after he'd gone, I stood there leaning against the shark's tank, listening to the relentless drip, drip, drip of the water and looking at the table covered in tacky little dolphin souvenirs, Dolphin pencil sharpeners, dolphin fridge magnets, dolphins that doubled as both. I had doubts about Lou Chutney making a statement. Even if he didn't change his mind, the word of a semi-itinerant alcoholic was unlikely to carry much weight with the unsympathetic cops. I climbed up the stairs and trudged back to the sharkmobile. The sun was going down throwing harsh gold light onto the waves as it sank beneath them. I put the top down on the sharkmobile and drove back to the motel with the breeze in my hair, thinking that there was only one thing for it. It would have to be the boy, and I'd have to break him. Last night I had the weirdest fucking dream. I'm in the water deep down in the sea and it's real bright blue full of light and and beautiful i'm swimming around looking at the light shining down through the water swimming and swimming but then there are clouds shadows above i look up and all i can see is these big pale bellies blocking out the light i can't see nothing else but then there's there's blood Great big streams of blood swirling all through the water and I see that the big pale things are sharks. Come after the blood. It's it's Brett's blood. They're his arms and legs turning over like some great big fucking sacrifice. The sharks come nearer and nearer nosing through the water and I can see their big fucking teeth and suddenly I know it's not Brett they're coming after. It's me. It's punishment for what I'd done. You see, I I knew it was Brett standing there that night. Me mum's always said I got eyes like a hawk and just for a second the moon came out from behind the clouds and I seen him. I should have stopped it. I could have stopped it. Somehow stepped in front of Craigie and made out we was all doing it for a joke. Hey, Brett, how's it going, mate? Fancy a bit of me ass, And we could have all had a laugh and, and gone home. But once Craigie started kicking him, I, I had to join in. And once I started, I couldn't stop.
So it's my fault he's dead. In the dream, the sharks are closing in and the water's boiling with blood. Bits of hand and arm float past me like some sicko horror movie. Brett's eyes, a hundred k's up, look at me like they did the night he died. I woke up sweating and screaming, then lay there looking out the little window in my bedroom, thinking about the dogs and who's going to take care of them because... That Lizzo's onto me. She's out there cruising in her big fucking shark mobile, and she's come to get me. The end. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love your feedback. Subscribe for free to Scarlet Stiletto Bites wherever you get podcasts. And do visit our website, sistersincrime.org.au.